Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So welcome to 12 Stone here across our campuses. Congrats to the winners of Monopoly at your campus. Let's give it up for them one more time. Well done. And all of us felt like a little Monopoly millionaire for like 30 seconds until you lost, right? And you're, oh man, rock beats paper, and no, paper beats rock. Good thing I didn't play. I would have lost and been confused. And, and, and the reality is this, Monopoly is a fun game, isn't it? Sort of. Let me, let me start here. How many of you grew up playing board games as a kid or with your own kids? All right. Now, how many of you ever played Monopoly growing up? Hands up. If you ever played Monopoly. All right. Last question. I need you to be honest. Here across the campuses, across 12 Stone Home. How many of you had someone in your family while playing Monopoly get extremely angry and do something they regret? Maybe you flipped the board. Maybe you yelled some things, right? Why, why do so many of us have core memories attached to Monopoly where your father, who was a godly man in every other facet of his life, flipped the board and said, I'm done? Because Monopoly starts to feel all too real, doesn't it? In fact, one of our teaching team pastors, I won't tell you his name. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to out him in this moment, but his, his name rhymes with Beeve Bolton, and he... Um, <laughs> On Christmas Eve, when he was 14, playing Monopoly with his brother, he landed on something, and his brother rubbed it in his face, and he rage quit, screamed at his brother on the eve of the birth of our risen Savior. Again, I don't, I don't want to out him, but again, Beef Bolton. Anyway, so, so why, why do we have these core memories attached to, to Monopoly? Because it, it, it was created to feel like real life. You got taxes. You got bills. You got income. Big losses, big gains, like it, it starts to feel too real. And so when your brother has Park Place and Boardwalk and hotels on there and you land on it and he starts dancing around the room, it feels too real. When you hit go to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight to jail. It feels so, so real. And the creators designed it to feel this way and, and we're so tempted to like trade things that are really important, like a relationship with a family for fake monopoly money. In fact, here's the point I'm trying to make today, and hopefully this will, will help bring gravity to our conversation. It is easy to mix up what is a game and what really matters. Think about this. It's so easy to mix up. Is this a game or does this matter? And suddenly we're, 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 we're open to Losing a relationship with a family member over, over a game and over fake money, and, and it feels so real. And for the duration of the game, Monopoly money feels real because you can do stuff with it in there. Then the second you stand up from the table and the game's over, this little piece of paper is virtually worthless. It doesn't matter. Like, try going to the store and being like, I have $500. I would like all your eggs, please. Right? Like, they're saying no. And they're like, all of them, you can have two dozen for $500. Like, like you, you can't use this in real life. But I'll tell you what Monopoly teaches us. We're at risk of mixing up what's a game and what really matters. And what's silly during a game is costly for your life. See, here's, here's what Jesus is 
half-brother James says, says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Here's what he's saying. Life is short. Be careful that we don't mix up what really matters and what's just a game. Because listen, at some point, just like in Monopoly, we will, we will all get up from the table of the game of life and it will be over. Game over. And when you get to the end of your life, I don't want you to wake up and realize you chased Monopoly money with the entirety of your life and you mixed up what really mattered. So I want to take us back in the, in the story of Scripture today, back to Exodus. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It's haunted me for a long time. It's such an odd story, but it's captivated me because I think it speaks to us right here, right now, today, more than we might realize. And this is a story in Exodus, and I want to, I want to set the scene. And so God's chosen people, the Israelites, they've been enslaved and in captivity under the evil king of Egypt for generations. They've been forced into labor. They're building his kingdom. And, and God sends a man named Moses. And you might have known this story. Moses shows up and God says, I want to set my people free from captivity. And if you know anything about the Bible, maybe your grandma brought you to church when you were a kid. Maybe you were around here this, this last year and you heard the story of the plagues that God sent to sort of wake up the Egyptians and really to wake up Pharaoh so he'd release God's people. And Moses, the famous line, let my people well done. You either read scripture or watched old movies. Let my people go. And he does. God releases them, frees them from this captivity. And then God goes another layer and he provides something incredible for his people on the way out of Egypt. Here's what Exodus 12 says. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and they asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Catch this. God made the Egyptians favorable towards God's people, and on the way out of town, the very people that had enslaved them emptied their pockets and their jewelry and handed them gold and silver like only God can do this. Like on the way out of town, they plundered the very people who had lorded over them for generations. In an unbelievable moment, the kindness of God to provide for his people. Because if you know the story of scripture, what God was doing was God was giving them this wealth to set up their future. So you think about being in captivity for generations. They had nothing that was theirs. And God was inviting them to cross the wilderness and go into the promised land where they would build God's city and they'd build their civilization and eventually build a temple to worship God in. And God provided his people the resources they needed to build their future, the future God had planned. But I want you to see what happened, because I find myself in the story. See, as Moses is up on Mount Sinai talking to the living God, getting the rules and the directions for how to build this life and how they were supposed to live now that they were a free people, down at the bottom of the mountain, the people started to get nervous. Moses had been up there a long time. And watch what happened with the resources that God provided. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, which was Moses' right-hand man, and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. 
And Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They took the very treasure that God provided to build their future and they made it their God. Like, how does this happen? One moment, God's your rescuer, your redeemer. You brought us out of captivity. Then you provided for our future and like turn a few pages over in scripture and suddenly they're taking the very resource God gave them for their future, melted it down and built to God that they were now worshiping. The, the, the stuff, the things, the riches that they had now had them. And it, it became their, their God. The Israelites discovered this, that money is a good tool, but a bad God. Listen to me. Money is a great tool, but it's a bad God. And when they went from, from, from just using money as a tool to worshiping money as a God, something snapped in them. And if you know the story of the Israelites, their story spiraled downward. Ultimately, that whole generation missed going into the promised land. Because listen, when you confuse who your God is, when you mix up what's a game and what really matters, you're going to wake up with regrets and consequences. And listen, you and I are more at risk of this than we realize. My heart for you, my heart for today is to say, listen, be careful the Israelites didn't step into this moment thinking this, this gold that God provided for us is eventually going to be the God that I worship. You don't start there. You drift into those things. And listen, I, I'm afraid that sometimes we can mix up what really matters. Now, listen, I'm not concerned that you're going to go to your, your wife's jewelry cabinet thing. What's it called? Jewelry box. Is that what it's called? Yeah, jewelry box. And take out all her gold and melt it down in the fireplace and build an altar and go in your backyard and worship your wife's jewelry. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. We're more sophisticated than the Israelites were. Don't miss it. We're smarter than they are. We know how to, we know how to keep that stuff tucked away. But what I am afraid of is not that you're going to melt down your gold and make an idol. It's that, it's that we're going to build idols through our credit cards, through our Amazon orders. So suddenly you're going to start to shift and, and you're going to begin to worship and prioritize what's parked in your driveway, the house that you live in, the security and safety that you feel when your bank account's full and your 401k is flush, that, that, that you're going to begin to prioritize the freedom and the options that your lifestyle is, is going to have with, with the money that you, you have. You see, when God provides something for you, like the Israelites, he provides for your future. And what we tend to do is we tend to turn the very thing, the tool that God wants to provide to us into the God that we chase and prioritize and ultimately worship. Listen, whatever's first in your life, you are worshiping. And my heart for us today is really not about your money. It's about your soul. In fact, here's what Jesus said, in Matthew 16. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? See, it's possible to win and to succeed wildly, but to succeed and win in things that don't really matter and lose your soul, 
Lose your heart, like lose the core of who you are getting wrapped up into stuff. And today I want to have a conversation about your soul. And you're going to think it's a conversation about money, and it's actually not. It's a conversation about your soul. Because listen, Jesus talked more about money than he did marriage or sin or even forgiveness. Why? Because uniquely, money has this, this idolatrous capacity to become your God. To rival the God that can forgive your sins and draw you out of death and sin and bondage and addiction. That God can be rivaled by money. Don't, don't, don't miss this. You'll face a lot of temptations in your life. We all do. The seduction of success. The lure of, of lust, these things will draw for your heart. But listen, the most significant idol you will battle in your life is money. And my heart for you is that the stuff that you have won't have you. See, that's what Jesus wants for you. And, and I want to stop and say two things. First of all, if you're here for the first time today, we don't talk about money hardly ever. <laughs> but you picked a great day to be here. So glad you're here. Listen, the, the picture I had was a wife who finally drug her husband to church, and he's like, I don't know about this thing, and you showed up, and you're sitting next to your wife going, I told you, listen, that's not what this is today. It's not a shakedown. God's not, God's not after your money. It's after your heart. Listen, second thing, some of you are going like, so God wants my money. Like he wants, like God's like some like cliche Russian villain in a movie. I want it in small unmarked bills. Like, no, God's not after U.S. currency. He doesn't need a piece of paper. But here's why Jesus talks so much about money, because money is often the thing that we grab onto and hold onto the longest. It's the last thing that we're willing to be open-handed with. You're like, I give God my worship. I serve. And that's awesome. You should. But over here, you got your hand in your back pocket. Like, I worship with one hand up here and one hand in my wallet. You see, because money is the thing that gives you the feeling of power and control. But who really has power and who's really in control? See, money gives you this sense of protection and safety. But who really is your protector, your defender, your shield, your safety? You see, money is the thing that can so easily replace God because it gives you the same feelings that God wants you to find in him. And so when Jesus said in Matthew 6 that you cannot serve two masters, you can't Love two things. You'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus then could have picked anything, but he said, listen, you can't serve God and wealth. And if you look around our culture in 2023 in America, wealth is so easy to worship. Stuff is so easy to worship. And God's saying, listen, don't mix up what's just a game and what's really matters. Because if you do, you could wake up and realize you lost your soul. See, today, I, I want to I talk to us from a personal place. I want to tell you why Amber and I put God first in our finances. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you into my reasoning, my thoughts, my convictions about this, that for Amber and I, the first 10% at least, we set aside and say, God, this is yours. We return this back to you through the local church we're a part of. So for us, it's right here at 12 Stone. So I, I want you to, to, to sort of climb into my world. And my hope for you is that God would, would use the convictions he sort of put in, in Amber and I and help you wrestle down your convictions. What do you believe really matters? 
What do you think is just a, just a game and monopoly money and what really actually matters? And so I can remember as a kid that this was always a rhythm for me. Like, my, this is how, how it got. For my birthday, my parents would give me whatever birthday money I'd get in $1 bills. You know why? So that I could easily take the first 10% and not have to figure out how to break a 10. They give me 10 $1. That's how much this is in me, like from a childhood moment. When Amber and I first got married, we were poor. Couldn't even afford a house. We had to buy a duplex so someone else would pay our mortgage. First 10% we set aside to God. I, I don't fully know why I started. I guess it would just be that I'd read scripture like Proverbs 3, that you honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, that we would just say, okay, I'll take you at your word and God will give you the first 10% and it's continued on forever. I don't remember a time where we didn't do this. But I want to tell you what happened. What started as a, an obligation as a kid, like my parents didn't give me an option. Can I be honest? The first dollar I gave to God, I didn't decide that. My mom and dad did. So like they just knew you're not getting $10 for your birthday, you're getting nine. And that's just how it worked. So I just had, okay, here's your money, God. It, it didn't feel the same way. But the, the, the practice of me putting God first and Amber and I doing this, that hasn't changed but the convictions underneath, the why has deepened over the years. And I want to share three core convictions that God has given Amber and I. And this is why we live in such a way where we say, God, you get to be first. Because we know what money wants to be first. But God, I know we want to put you first. So here's the first of three convictions. And it starts with just a simple truth. God is our provider. Like it, it's, This doesn't start out like it master's level theology here. It's just, God, you're our provider. And we tend to mix this up because you go, man, I'm the one who's putting 40, 50 hours a weekend. Like I'm sort of providing, <laughs> like I'm sort of that paycheck doesn't have God's name on it. I got to go to him to cash it. Like it has my name on it. Cause I'm working kind of hard. Like I'm sort of my own provider. Oh, but who put breath in your lungs? Like who gave you the skills you have so that your boss would actually employ you? <laughs> Like who put, who, who picked the IQ that you have for some of you? You're like, God, I could have used a little more. I'm, I'm in you. I'm, I'm with you. Like, like, like who, who put all that in you? There's a reason it starts with God because it all starts with God. See, when I, when, when I stand in worship and I sing songs about God, he's holy. He's unchanging. He's my provider. His love is endless. All the times in my life where I was weak and terrible and undeserving and God was so faithful and loving to me, it starts with him, the relationship. See, when I, when I think about the fact that while I was a sinner, God sent his son, Jesus, like, like. The simplest way to explain the gospel is two words. God gave. Like the nature of who God is, is generous. He's a generous God. He didn't just free his people from Egypt. He freed them and plundered the enemy. And they left with provisions for their future. Like that's who God is. I can't just sing a song about how great God is. He has to be first. God has to be first. If this is who he is, he has to be first. And compared to God... Everything else in my life really is like Monopoly money. Like if I get a view of who God is, that he's my provider, he's my father, he's good. Everything else pales in comparison. So if that's true, that listen, God is our provider, then here's what we do. For Amber and I, we reject the position of ownership and we accept the disposition of stewardship. Like this is for us. 
I'm not forcing you to do anything today. I'm just telling you why we do it. If God's my provider, then he owns everything. And so my job is not to own everything in my life. My job is to steward what he trusts to me, what he entrusts to me. That's my time, my words, my actions, my talents, my relationships, my influence, my home, my car, and yes, my money. If God's my provider, I don't own it. I just steward it. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And this conviction is not just a Sunday morning church conviction. This affects how we live our life. Like, tell me this. Do you drive different when you're driving a car that you own versus you're driving a friend's car? Anybody? Like, I, I remember I was 16 and my boss, I worked at McDonald's. It was not fun. I worked at McDonald's. My boss said, hey, run to the other McDonald's thing and pick up, I don't know, some ice cream mix because the ice cream machine never works. So she's like, go get it. I was like, I don't have a car here. She hands me the keys to her car. My car was a beater. She goes, drive, drive over and get that real quick. I get in her car and I drove like I was 73 and I had soup next to me without a lid, right? Like I was just, I was terrified. And then I get back in my car later and I'm driving my little Nissan Sentra just beating it around. I don't care, it's mine. I don't, I don't have to bring the keys back to you. Now listen, I'm not talking about rental cars because I drive those like I stole them, right? Like I don't care. <laughs> Literally, you want the insurance? Double it up. You're going to need it. I'm, I'm talking about a car that someone you know your relationship with lets you borrow their car. You drive it different. See, for us, when we realize that everything we have, everything, was given to us to borrow, to manage, to steward, not to own. My boss didn't give me the keys to her car and say, it's yours now. She said, I'm going to need that back when you get back. And there's, there's a reality that one day we'll have to lock eyes with God and he'll ask the question, what did you do with what I gave you? So for me, I have to accept the disposition of stewardship. I'm a manager, not an owner, because listen, when I start to drift into thinking that I'm the owner of all my stuff, you know what I tend to do? I tend to build golden calves, chase monopoly money, and I start to lose my soul. See, God's got to be first. One of the most practical places is in our money. The second conviction that Amber and I hold on to is that, listen, our hearts follow our money. Jesus actually talked about it, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. I, I don't need your money. <laughs> I'm God. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I created all this stuff. I could Thanos snap myself anything I wanted. I don't want your money, but I want your heart. The problem is they're forever connected, inseparable. See, we read that scripture and think, listen, wherever my heart is, that's where my money goes. No, 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 no. It's saying the opposite. Wherever your money is, that's where your heart is. It's why when you buy a stock, you, you always follow it. You don't care about that stock till you got your money there, right? Now you're going, what's the return on this stock? It's why when you finally buy Park Place and Boardwalk, now you have an invested interest, please roll a five, please roll a five, because I want to dance around the room and get you to rage quit. Like, I care now because I'm invested somewhere. See, for us, our hearts always follow our money. That's why Jesus talks about money so much. So if that's true, for us, 
All financial decisions are spiritual decisions. We're so used to compartmentalizing our life into spiritual and material or spiritual and practical. And you're like, sure, God, that's spiritual when I sing and praise you, spiritual when I pray, spiritual when I read the Bible, spiritual when I go to church, spiritual when I pray with my kids at night, and that's true. But when I get to like my financial decisions, that's just practical stuff, God. Like that's not, you stay over there. This is sort of what I need to carry. For Amber and I, we realize like if our treasure leads our heart, we better lead our treasure wisely. So when we talk about spending, we say, I don't just talk to my financial advisor. I also talk to God and sit in scripture because listen, these financial decisions are really spiritual decisions. And if I could fix one thing in the hearts of our culture, maybe just our church, it would be that we understand that financial decisions are actually spiritual because if you don't, you will battle money the rest of your life. You'll be in this competition for who's first. What would you give your life to? So it'll eventually it'll own you and you'll drown in the downturns and you'll crash your life in the upturns in your pride. So I've watched families, couples, individuals subtly start to chase money first and put God in just even second place. You start chasing more, 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 more. Suddenly you lose the things that matter the most. You mixed it up. You thought what was really real was the game and what was not real and what was just silly. Like, listen, you can crash your life when you put other things first. And you have to recognize all financial decisions are actually spiritual decisions. So if I don't put God first, and I don't realize these financial decisions are spiritual. My heart starts to chase money. And what do I do? I build golden calves, chase monopoly money. My soul starts to die, starts to wither. Is it as quiet at every campus as it is here? <laughs> See, these convictions shape how we do life in the most practical places. Third conviction, here's our last one. And I, this is, if you know me, this is me. Like, here's what I believe heaven is real. So we choose to invest in things that bring an eternal return on investment. All right? For me, I can't help it. God wired me this way. I need to see a return. Like when I invest in something, I need to see it return something, which is why it's been so painful when my 401k statements come. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at it because it hurts my soul. Anyone want to know what my annualized rate of return was this year? It was 19.98%. Oh, wait, no, negative, 19.98%. True. I have less money in my retirement now than I did two years ago after putting it in every month for two years. I want to die on the inside. Like, I, I, I need to see a return on where I'm investing, and I'm not seeing that right now. But listen, Jesus has a paradigm shift for how we have to think about investing our money. You've probably heard of ROI. If you're in business... You've heard of ROI, it's, it's return on investment. It's what do we get back in profit for the, the capital that we infused and invested into something else. But maybe you've never heard of EROI, your eternal return on investment. Like you, you're investing in something longer than this life. So here's how Jesus sort of introduces this thought in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal and where stock markets go down and your retirement's negative 20. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal and where stock markets don't go down because God holds the universe in his hands. Like he's saying, listen, there are, there are two ways you can invest your money. You can invest your money on things that bring a return on this earth and you should because it's smart. Otherwise, your kids will always be taking care of you. So for the love of God, dad, keep investing. I don't want that. But also he's, he's not so much saying don't invest with anything here, but he's saying there's some other place you can invest you may have never thought of. See, in heaven, there's something of a kingdom mutual fund where when you invest in things in the kingdom, there's a return in eternity. Like you can invest in things that last beyond your life here. And when you miss the E in E-R-O-I, you start to live like this life matters and eternity is just a game. When in fact, if I had to pick, this life is more of the game and eternity is more of what really matters. Like you might get 85 years here or 83.4 if you're a guy, we die quicker. Like you might get that many years here, eternity is forever. So you get to invest in places that last long beyond your life here. See, I don't have time to unpack the depth and weight of this. I might come back to it in the fall because I'm going to tell you that conviction that I can invest somewhere that never goes down and lasts for forever drives something in my soul the way God wired me. I'm going to come back to this. But here's what you have to ask. Did you only invest in things that brought an economic return? And you never invested in things that brought an eternal return. It's a haunting thought that maybe you just need to think about. See, my job is to make sure we don't spend our life building golden calves, chasing monopoly money, and waking up in eternity and realizing, I got nothing stored up. See, the promise of God is that we can invest in things that last beyond our life here. So let me just give you a few. See, for some of you, for many of you, as you invest in the local church here with your tithe plus you're investing in something that lasts longer than your life. Look what we get to be, be a part of. Just last weekend, if you've been at 12 Stone for any amount of time, you probably remember Todd and Micah Nicholson. They were a campus pastor at Bethlehem, and then God called them to Montana of all places. Think it's cold here this morning. It's cold. And last weekend, after spending 18 months building a launch team, they launched their church, Buffalo Church. That's, that's Todd and Micah, in case you couldn't recognize. And, and we love them. And your investment financially here is what allowed us to invest in them there. And last weekend, they launched week one out of nowhere. 350 people showed up, 16 decisions for Christ. Can we celebrate that? Like, like that's wild. And, and if you invest here, you're a part of that. Like, that's E-R-O-I. That's not a game. That's not Monopoly money. That's real stuff. See, many of you gave towards the Christmas offering last month, and we told you we're going to keep updating you. We did the 30 cars for single moms, and thousands of kids fed all the things. But listen, those of you who, who invested in the Christmas offering, you just invested in 173 middle school and high school students who could not afford to go to winter retreat over the next two weekends, and they're going now because of your investment. Like, that's E-R-O-I. And here's what you don't, you don't even know yet. How many of those kids are going to accept Christ over the next two weekends? Like, like, tell me you don't get jazzed about the thought that we get to invest in things that matter. 
Like, I don't have time to tell you everything, but this is this principle, this conviction is one of the reasons why we actually put up an impact report every year where you get to see the EROI, the impact, the return for the things you invested in the kingdom of God. Like, for me, this drives me. Like, I get so charged thinking that I can invest in things that don't fall apart and don't go down, that are stored for all of eternity. I, God is wild about people. So I'm wild about people. And when I invest in the kingdom, when I invest through the local church, this is what God gets, lets us be a part of. I got one story that I, I had to tell. There's a small group called Embrace Grace. And this group is a very specific small group. And they formed a group to help moms with unwanted pregnancies. And they said, listen, we exist to wrap our arms around these moms who go, I, I don't want this. I'm done. And there was a, a young woman named McKenna, first mom to go through this group. She said, I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be a mom. I can't tell you everything they do for these moms that don't have time, but you get it. It's not just like, we pray for you, good luck. No, we're in it. We're doing life with these moms. And McKenna was close to terminating the pregnancy. She was done. She did not want any of this. Got connected to this group. They started to love on her. They started to show her how much God loves her and sees her. And listen to me. This week, McKenna gave birth to her precious little miracle, Leo Benjamin. Look at this. Isn't that beautiful? Who knows what God has in store for that baby? Thank you. That's part of what you get to invest in is stuff like that. Listen, for many of us, our financial investments are negative. The stock market's down. But when you invest in things that last for eternity, I can tell you this, your stock market, your funds, your investments are up. It's the beauty of the kingdom of God. So let me just start to land the plane. How do you actually do this? How do Amber and I actually do this? So you have to have a plan and be intentional. See, just like Amber and I have a plan and a budget for spending, for saving, for retirement, for bills, for mortgage, we have a plan to put him first. Because listen, if you don't have a plan, you never will. You realize if you don't have a plan for retirement, you're never going to retire. Like just flashing red light. If you don't have a plan for that, you're never going to retire. If you don't have a plan to put God first, you never will. Here's what I've discovered. We all come from the factory with our default setting, putting money first, not God. All of us, myself included. So if you don't choose to put God first, he never will be. No one accidentally ends up with God first. You have to choose it, have a plan, and be intentional. Like people who actually live God first don't require people to get them emotionally charged into this. Like, let me convince you. Let me show you a Sarah Glockland commercial with sad dogs and the arms of, all right, here's my, no. Like, it, it, thank you, by the way. That, if we have to pay a copyright, guys, let's just try to avoid it. It'll take out my paycheck, my bad. If you have to be Sarah McLaughlin'd into this, you'll never live this way consistently. It's a decision. And it's a decision based on your convictions. For me, God's my provider, so he gets to go first. I don't own it. And if, if my heart follows my money, for me, my conviction is that simply put, every decision about finance is actually spiritual. 
And then ultimately, it's not just about what I invest here, it's what I invest into eternity. So those things are true, so we make a decision. God, you get to go first. So we have to put a plan together for that. Here's how Paul began to set up the early church rhythms of, of giving. Here's just simply put, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Whose income? Yours, not mine, not that guy's, in yours. Saving it up so that when I come, we don't have to walk around shaking you down like Sarah McLaughlin commercials. Like just make your plan, be intentional, and put God first. Because your soul's at stake. So you, you, you just have to put a plan together. And it, it's according to your income. Like whatever God entrusts to you, he's expecting you to put him first with what he's trusted you with. You're not going to have the same entrustment as Bill Gates. Thank God. I, I couldn't fathom. And you're not going not to have the same as someone else. But for you, in keeping what God's entrusted to you. And listen, you don't give out of obligation or like a tax. You give because you love God and you love your church. And listen, if you're here visiting or watching online and this isn't your home church, don't invest here then. But go invest in your church. But put God first regardless. And listen, that's why when you came in today, and I think 12 Stone Home has this, take out that card. Because we want to give you an opportunity. My heart for you is that you would have God first in every part of your life. Your time, your talents, and your treasure. Your relationships, your influence, and your stuff. But you don't show up there and arrive there by accident. You make a decision, you put a plan together, and you're intentional. And the reason why it's so quiet when we talk about money, first of all, our culture has messed this up. This is not a prosperity gospel. If you just give God $10, he'll give you 100 No, that's not true. Read, read the disciples. Their story's not great. The reward was awesome. It's not in this life. But I tell you this, when you put God first, he's free to provide. When you put God first, it frees the shackles and chains of materialism. And you're looking for some stupid purchase to fix what's broken here. And I don't want a shakedown. I want you to have freedom. And can I just be blunt? It is offensive to God when we claim his salvation and then put him second, third, fifth, tenth. And when I look at moments like this, my job is to address the offense because he is worthy. He gave first. And so I, I don't expect you to jump in and say from zero to 60. I just say this. We're going to give you space to decide between you and God. Will you take your next step in putting God first in the practical arena of your finances? For some, listen to me, for some of you, it's going to be a single dollar. And you go, what does that matter? It doesn't matter to us. Think about this. Your first dollar where you said, God, I'm not the owner of at least a dollar. That's yours significant moment of breakthrough. God, for the first time, it's not all mine. For some of you, it's moving into the percentage giving, saying, God, I've just sort of tipped you along the way, and I need to put a strategic plan together, like 1 Corinthians 16. According to what you've entrusted to me, God, I'm going to select a percentage and say, God, I'm going to sacrificially say, you're first. 
Listen, King David said, I will not bring an offering to God that didn't cost me anything. Should be costly. Third, you might begin to actually tithe. Say, God, the first 10% is yours. You gave me 100%, first 10% I return back to you. For some, it's you're a faithful tither, tither. And God's saying, man, I've entrusted you with more. Live generous. Give beyond the walls of the church. Fun things in this church that allow us to move the kingdom forward, to spread the gospel around the world. I entrusted too much to you for you to stop at 10. But what I think God wants you to do is not take the step I tell you to take, is take your next step that he has for you. Because this is a growth process where you get to slowly but surely say, God, you're first. God, you're first. Because if not, you're going to spend your life chasing monopoly dollars and building golden calves, and you're going to regret it. So, so my, my job is to help create moments for us to step into obedience. And so since giving is not a financial transaction, it's an act of worship. We're going to go back to something as a church that we left. See, we just read, Apostle Paul said, listen, set aside this money first day of the week in accordance to what God's entrusted to you. What was he doing? He was setting up an offering in the early church. Like we should be doing this. And we didn't stop doing this, but over COVID, it changed how we did it. So we moved online. And like Amber and I, some 90 some percent of you moved to online giving because we didn't gather for a while. And the Christmas offering was the first time we passed baskets in years, literally. And so what we need to do is not go back to offering every week. And we shouldn't stay at offering moments in service at zero. Because listen, we're prone to drift into making this conversation a financial transaction like swiping a credit card at Target instead of making an act of worship before Almighty God. So here's what's going to happen. We, on February 19th, we're going to begin our new God First offering rhythm. And here's how it's going to play out. Two things that are going to be different. First is this. It's not going to be every week. It's going to be twice a month, and it's going to be the first and third week of every month where we're going to pass baskets in service, create a moment of worship around this because God's not interested in your $1 bill. He's interested in your heart. And so these moments for me when we give, it's like it's worship. So it should be worship. I have offering envelopes here. We'll pass the baskets. We'll create a moment for you to have sacred space with God to say, God, you are first. You are first. You're my provider. We need that. Secondly is we're creating a new sort of tangible worshipful thing inside the offering and we're going to have cards in the seats and envelopes in the seats for those of you who give online. It's my wife and I, like I said, 90% of you, we're not going to stop doing that. It's the easiest way for us, but we need to give you a physical representation, a place and a way to worship in the service. So we'll have a card where you get to interact with it and say, God, you're first. And you get to put that in there empty. You already, you already gave online. You already put God first online. But we want to give you space, sacred things for you to do in service. So that's going to start February 19th. And it'll be the first and third week of every month. Because listen, there are places we have drifted and God is not first anymore. And here's what I've discovered. When God's first in my finances, he's usually first everywhere else. And when God's not first in my finances, I'm usually drifting somewhere else. So we're going to give you some space today between you and your Heavenly Father. I want you to notice something. These cards don't have a place for your contact info because I don't want it. It's not between you and me. It's between you and God. But I want you to engage with your Heavenly Father and say, God, where have I drifted from you being first? 
And Cam's going to come out and he's going to sort of sing a song over us and invite us into a worshipful response moment. But when you're ready, and you don't have to do this, by the way. If you're a guest of ours, God doesn't want your money, but he does want to be first in your heart. But you can sign your name between you and your heavenly father saying, God, whatever you ask, I'll say yes. What's my next step in giving? What's my next step in saying, God, you're first in my heart and in my soul? Because again, Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? My heart for you is that God will be first, not just in Sunday morning gathering and Bible reading and prayer, but in the most practical arenas of your life. So after Kim sings, your pastors will step up, tell you what to do with this card. But don't under, underestimate what God wants to do in just a moment like this. God, I want to reestablish you first. You're worthy of my worship. So Kim, would you lead us and you can respond and prepare. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.